What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Oh my gosh, that intro was awesome. Welcome to Smart People Podcast. I'm Chris. And I don't even know what to say. You don't, you that don't like was, that? Uh, I'm John. John's a little upset. I forced him to put that as our intro. And the reason is because we want to highlight our newest campaign. We're trying to make this thing sustainable. If you enjoy listening to the show, if you've listened to the last 80 some odd episodes, head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com slash drink and you can buy us a theoretical metaphorical drink. It's a donation. Anything as small as a dollar Anything as much as a million, we will take if you have that. But we appreciate it. I mean, we just bought a new board. We're looking to do some video stuff, so we want to get a camera. Every cent that we've actually spent, which is well in excess of what we made, has gone back in the show, clearly, to make it better for you. So buy us a drink. John did the hashtag on our Facebook page. It looks pretty cool. It is. I thought about how people could give us money. And I say that in the nicest way possible, but I received an email from somebody in Thailand and they said, Hey, if you're ever over in this area, hit me up. I want to buy you a beer and dinner. And I thought, Oh, this is the perfect way to get donations from people. They can buy us drinks. No, it is a great idea. And like I said, you might think that, Oh, it's not worth my time for a dollar or whatever, but it adds up. I mean, we have thousands and tens of thousands of people that listen so every little bit helps. That's enough on that. Don't forget, you can still use our Amazon banner, but we're never going to talk about it again because people are telling me they're sick of hearing it. We will talk about it. I don't care about it. Anyways, let's get into this week's episode, what we do best, our bread and butter. We're going to talk about how you're a genius. 
You're a genius. You might not even know it. And there's science to prove it. And you've heard of similar things, but our guest this week, in, in his book, The Genius in All of Us, he really does a good job of going through the research. It's written well. He's a great author. His name is David Shank. The Genius in All of Us is why everything you've been told about genetics, talent, and IQ is wrong. And we get into how to unleash your inner potential, that it's there. Look, you might not be the next Mozart or Beethoven or Michael Jordan or whatever, but everything you do does lead into your life and making yourself better, more productive. And we're going to talk about the science behind it. So you guys can have a little bit of background information on David. He went to Brown University. He's written six books, and he's contributed to places such as National Geographic, Slate, New York Times, Harper's, Wired. You name it, he's probably written for it. And his writing style is pretty awesome. I mean, just talking about genius and raising your kids and how you might help them succeed but not be a helicopter parent, if you will. A lot of cool stuff. Finally, to kick off our Buy You a Drink campaign, we talked to David a little extra behind the scenes after the interview, and we talk about he wrote a book about being a deadhead, so a Grateful Dead fan, and another one about kind of information overload that he wrote in 1997 and how it kind of portrays today's current information age. And we have that portion of the interview located on smartpeoplepodcast.com under his blog post. So the David Shank blog post, go check it out. Extra five minutes. Pretty interesting. Smartpeoplepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy David Shank. Let's dive in. As I mentioned, what you write about in The Genius and All of Us is something that I love, John loves. We talk about it on the podcast all the time, kind of achieving your potential and things like that. In your book, you say that humans have a latent talent abundance. And I was hoping you could kind of expand on that for us, which is also a little background on your book. Sure. I'll, I'll give it, I'll give it a, a, the old my college best shot, try. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll, and we'll give it another shot and another shot after that. Perfect. So yeah, I mean, essentially the message of my book is it's a little different from what you may have heard from, you know, your mom when you were five, which is, you know, the old kind of thing is, hey, you've got some you've got some gift inside you and we need to figure out what that is. We need to identify whether you've got you were born with the, you know, the musical genius or the or the artistic genius or the or the physical genius. But everyone was born with one of them and you just need to identify it and and you know and then pursue that for the rest of your life. My message, which is just a distillation of, I think, the, the latest science from a bunch of different corners of, of the scientific realm, but kind of putting together different, different pieces of, of, of fairly new science, is that the, the genius, if we're going to talk about it at all, is, just this, is simply the design of humans that were built to adapt to our environment, to, to the demands that we put on our body and our brain. So, you know, we've been hearing for a while now that our brains have a lot of plasticity. That's a term that's been out there. And I think most people understand that that, that means that our, our brains really do respond and, and develop and, and grow and change in response to the thoughts we have, the experiences we have, the the uh, the demands that we put on it. So that part is that part is not really a brand new concept, but it's it needs to be emphasized because it's so important, and it's not something that stops when you're you know 13 or 18. It just keeps going and going and going. Your brain is always changing physically 
depending on the experience that you have. But the part that people really haven't heard is that that essentially is also happening on a genetic level. It's, it's, um, it's important that people that un- understand that genes are really not these kind of static information dispensers that we were, that we were taught of as kids. Genes really themselves also express themselves according to our environment, according to the demands that we put on ourselves. Now, there are, there are things about genes that are very much as we learn. The genes themselves do not change, and they are, you know, DNA is passed down from parent to child the way, the way that we learn. But in terms of how genes operate and what, what our genetic selves are going to turn out to be, that is very much an interactive situation. And it's really more about, uh, it's, not, it's not so much about the genes you have, but about the specific interaction that your body's genes have with you and your environment throughout your entire life. What I really love about that is you said, we adapt to the demands of our environment, and it's, it's by the thoughts we have and all that. Along those lines, does that mean, for example, if we were to watch an hour of TV for a week, we'd be more likely to then watch an hour and a half and then two hours. Or everybody knows if you stop going to the gym, you're now way less likely to continue going to the gym. Can it all kind of be summed up together as you will continue to do what you're used to almost? You know, I can't get that specific about, you know, about, about, about human behavior because that's not really... And I don't know if we can if we can lay down you know really s- principles that are that specific about you know about for instance watching TV right but for, but absolutely there are patterns in life I mean that we all we all know that too and for sure um, what I can say for sure is that you watch an hour of TV that hour of TV is affecting your brain I'm not saying it's affecting your brain in a bad or a good way it, it probably depends on the TV but that that experience that hour is not a, is not uh, is not a passive thing. Your brain is actually changing according to what you see, the thoughts you have, the whole the, the emotional experience you have, the air you're breathing in the room, everything that's going on in that hour, that is now a part of you. That's your amazing. brain has adapted just a little bit to that to that hour and it and your life is never going to be quite the same and your in fact your brain and your whole body is never going to be quite the same. It's always changing and always adapting to to whatever time you spent. So, you know, we're, we're used to thinking that, you know, we kind of develop and grow up to a certain age or something, and then we're just kind of who we are. But really, our lives are, are always changing, and our bodies and our brains are always changing and capable of extraordinary change, even uh, well into adulthood, according to, according to the experiences that we have. You mentioned gene expression, and I kind of want to dive into that a little bit because, you know, as you mentioned, when we grew up, we were taught, you know, you have your genes that are passed down. And if you've got the genes for blue eyes, you get blue eyes, but you're, you're talking about gene expression. What does that mean in terms of looking at that differently? So is it really the environment that affects if we actually receive the blue eyes? Is it that <laughs> simple or is, what right. do you mean by gene expression? Right. So great question. And this does get tricky. And, and, and the, the only danger here is that people kind of, that people kind of listen to part of this and they kind of close their mind and they, they assume I'm saying one thing and I'm saying the other. So I'll try to kind of keep this open and, and, and I'll, I'll ask people listening to, to keep an open mind as well. Sure. Uh, because I'm certainly not saying 
that anything can happen to you at any time. And I'm not saying that you can literally become any person with any kind of traits and that, you know, if you're five, six, you could have been eight feet tall. I'm not, I'm not saying that genes don't have uh, a lot of information in them. Uh, your genes are obviously very different um, or somewhat different from the person standing next to you. Um, everyone has distinct genes and, and they have they have a very, very sharp influence on everything that you are and do just in their own in their own right, apart from the whole environmental aspect to it. Uh, having said that, yeah, uh, we need to understand genes now in kind of a third dimension, which is that everything that genes do, even though they, they do have specific information and, and their, their specific information is, is different from the from the genes that are, you know, the information that's in the genes of the guy standing next to you. Even though that's true, what's also true is that genes express themselves. Essentially, the way to think about it is they get turned on and off constantly. This starts from the moment you're conceived, and it doesn't end to the moment you take your last breath. And it's that expression, it's that turning on and off, that kind of flipping of, of switches all over the place in your body that actually turns out to create the traits in your body. So by traits, I mean anything from eye color to how your brain you know, turns out to be shaped very specifically to the size of your muscles, to the, the hormones in your body. All, the, all that stuff is really the consequence of gene expression. Now, with the case of very, very simple traits like eye color, obviously at a certain age, your eye color gets fixed and your, your eyes don't wildly change colors, you know, <laughs> at cool. age eight or, or eight, age, age uh, 80. You know, they become a certain color. And, and in, in a simple, a very simple trait like that, the information sitting inside the genes, it all but controls that. Although, although what's interesting is even in that case, even in the case of eye color, and we were taught you've got the recessive and the dominant and you've got either the genes for brown eyes or blue eyes or whatever it is. And that's just kind of a fait accompli. But actually... The truth is, even in the case of eye color, there is, uh, there is a little bit of uh, gene-environment interaction and gene expression, which does play a role. So even in the case of that, you're not actually fated in a 100% in a, in a, in a kind of clear, specific way to have a certain eye color depending on the genes. You can't look in every single case at you know, kind of the, the genetic code and go, oh, well, that person is absolutely certainly going to have this, this exact shade of eye color, although, of course, it does become fixed, as I said, fairly early on. Now, how was this discovered? Because I find this completely fascinating that we've had similar beliefs for the last 50, 60, 70 years when it comes to genes and, and what that tells about people. You know, what research w was done and how did we come to figure this out about the, the gene expression? Well, I mean, the first answer to that is really that we can talk about some very cool experiments that have been done. But the truth is that really the, the, the shock here, the reason that maybe a lot of people are hearing this and going, boy, this doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard before. The, the real shock here is that it's just been very badly communicated. Hmm. I mean, kind of frankly, that, that scientists have done just kind of a lousy job of communicating what they know because the, the concept of gene expression and the concept of gene environment interaction and all the stuff that I'm talking about is essentially been known for quite a long time. But, you know, there's a, there's a huge gulf between kind of the way scientists talk about things with one another and, the, and you know, kind of their writing in technical journals and how that gets translated and discussed in, in popular circles. And there's just kind of this uh, unfortunately, very often this giant lag. And um, when it comes to something like genes, 
and the relationship of genes to, say, intelligence and talent and things like that, we develop in the popular culture certain metaphors and certain you know, very basic kind of understandings that have gotten very unfortunately fixed. And you know, kind of science has, has continued apace to, to paint a very different picture. It's just that there haven't been too many people, uh, and I'm certainly not the first, but there haven't been too many people who have come along and said, hey, there's such a huge gulf now between the scientific picture and the and the you know, and the popular culture picture, and we need to we we need to uh, we need to bridge that divide. One of the things I want to say, and you have to forgive me for this question because I don't like asking the difficult questions. But the vast majority of us, you say, the vast majority of us have not even come close to tapping our unactualized potential, and I feel like I love hearing that. I I want to tap this plasticity in my brain. I want to one day find out that I can play the piano. But I feel like that's also a sentence that you could say just because you want to sell books. You know what I mean? If you said, if you said you're screwed, <laughs> you wherever you are is where you fall. Nobody would want to hear it. So I was just kind of wondering what your thoughts on that were. No, no, no. That's that's a very fair question. That's uh, you think that's the toughest question people have thrown at me? <laughs> yeah, no. But I, I like can, to keep I it can, fun. <laughs> I can show you some uh, some pretty ugly emails I've gotten. No, no, no. So I mean, the, the key is that you have to that you have to see everything that I that I've said about this and wrote about it because once you get into a subject this intense important kind of core to you know all the questions of who we are and where we came from and what we can become there's a lot to say you can't sum it you can't you can't sum it up in one sentence so someone might hear that for example go oh there's another guy saying we could be anything we want to be <laughs> exactly. and and you know hey I, he doesn't know how hard i've tried to do this thing and i and and i'm never if if you look at my book you'll see that there's not only a lot of caveats, but there's a lot of um, what I would hope would come across as rich nuance to understanding what this new way of looking at this is all about. So, for example, in the, in the case of you playing the piano, am I saying that your genes that have to do with your musical ability don't make any difference in your potential uh, compared to the guy uh, sitting next to you? No, absolutely not. I'm absolutely saying I'm absolutely acknowledging that genes and genetic differences make a difference there. Am I saying that you at any time in your life have the potential to, with just you know uh, a certain amount of hours, become Van Cliburn or, or Keith Jarrett or whatever it is with exactly the same amount of work? No, I'm absolutely not. People have different levels of potential, but it's also important to, to, to realize that the essential difference between the people who become extraordinary in this world at, at certain things, Keith Jarrett at the piano, Michael Jordan at, 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 you know, on the basketball court, Tiger Woods you know, in golf, the, the essential difference is that these people are not only are, are finding a way to tap into to their potential and that that equation involves an extraordinary amount, not, not only of work, and obviously you know, it's a cliche to say you, you, know, you, you work hard and it's 99 percent perspiration and one percent inspiration or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. But but it's not just it's not just hard work. These people, they're finding the sweet spot. So the sweet spot is a lot of the right resources, the the right mindset, the right influences at the right time, and you know, extraordinary teachers. And yes, an extraordinary amount of work, in many cases more work and and more types of practice, a very specific type of practice that involves actually embracing 
your weaknesses and looking for your failures and kind of turning into the failure as opposed to kind of like being really disappointed in failure and kind of moving on. So a certain certain type of practice and, and more of all of that than most people who are kind of on the other side of the line, including me, who aren't extraordinary at, you know, at, at anything that we usually realize. And so what you do, what, what I did with my book is I kind of looked at all this science and I brought all these different pieces together and talked to the scientists about it. And then I looked at, you know, at this other world, I looked at the specific lives of people who are extraordinary achievers. And you realize that all of this stuff is telling the same very nuanced, but very interesting story about not about how everyone has the same potential. Again, I'll, I'll say that over and over again, but about how fundamentally the story of greatness, the story of incredible achievement is the story of a process that people go through. And a lot of people don't frankly have the resources to tap into that process. So, you know, you're at this point in your life to bring it back to your example. I don't know if you have the time, money, wherewithal, attitude, access to to teachers access to the to the right instruments etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, i don't know if you've developed your musical ear enough as a child which is important to even be able to hear the differences so that you know if you spent the next 20 years doing nothing but but practicing the piano i don't know i couldn't tell you obviously from this conversation right. what your potential is at this point but if you go back to the beginning of every life and you imagine that, and you're, and you're kind of asking that, that question, well, what is this newborn's potential to become X, Y, or Z? The only true answer to that is you don't, we don't know. We can't ever look at a code, and we never will be able to look at a, at a genetic code and go, oh, well, you know, that person just couldn't, you know, never had the chance. You don't really know your potential until you play it out. And what my book is saying is, hey, let's learn about all the different elements that go into this process and let's i'm not i'm not even advocating that we all be, try to become extraordinary or all try to do these extreme things because i think there's actually sacrifices made in life but let's identify all the resources that we can all the sacrifices that we can and let's marry it with this with this idea that is now that we now know is scientifically valid which is that almost all this stuff is a process it is a matter of, uh, of brain plasticity and ge genetic expression and tapping into resources and the mindset and all this stuff. And the more we learn about that, at least we can say, well, the more, you know, we can at least con increase the control that we have over our own lives, at least just a little bit. I'm not saying we all have, you know, well, any of us will ever have complete control because we're born with all sorts of uh, limitations and all sorts of, you know, very specific. Uh, parameters around our lives. Even people born, you know, very wealthy have all sorts of parameters around their lives, which limit them in, in all kinds of ways. But at least the more we learn about the process and think about it as a process, at least that is, I think, uh, an, a very empowering kind of step forward. Sure. And I couldn't help but to think, have you ever seen the movie Gattaca? <laughs> I've seen, I think I've seen most of Gattaca or, or part of Gattaca enough to know. It's one of my favorite movies. And I watched it the other day. And, you know, the premise being that there's these two brothers and one is supposed to be like handicap almost if he wants to fly to another planet and all this and basically they're saying that everything's determined by genes and he goes out and proves that that's not true and it's just so it almost talks about the hard work he beats his brother in a swimming contest and he says how did you beat me and he says all these years i never saved any energy for the way back so he was willing to drown just to beat his brother. And I think that goes to a lot. What you're saying is, you know, it has to be this 
this extreme desire to become better. And, and what you're saying is it's there if you have that for the most part. Well, it's interesting. You know, it's what I'm saying is you don't know until you do it. And, ah, and okay. of the irony there is you never know until you do it forever. I mean, and that's, and that's kind of a, a very dark statement. I recognize that. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm no, not, also, <laughs> you, people who read the book know that this isn't just kind of like a Pollyanna, hey, let's pick up this book and, and uh, tap into a nice attitude and I'm, I'm going to be an amazing painter, you know, <laughs> a year later. There's just a lot of uh, nuance to this, but some people work very, very hard at becoming really, really great, you know, for a period of their lives and they hit, they hit what feels like a limit to them. And maybe it is a limit. I can't, I can't say that it isn't, it is or it isn't a limit. But what I can say, if you look at the people who break through all that stuff, there's a couple things that, that are very, very common, basically universal in, in the lives of these people, you know, Mozart and Tiger Woods and, and uh, Michael Jordan, all these people. And, and the, the commonalities are that they never, ever stop pushing themselves. They never, ever, they never hit a ceiling and go, okay, so that's, that's probably where I am. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's about where I can go. They hit a ceiling. These guys hit a ceiling and they go, how am I going to get that, through that ceiling? You know, mm-hmm. and they don't, they don't say if I don't get through that ceiling in five days of practice or two months of practice or whatever, they, they make it their life's mission to poke through that limitation. In fact, the stories of Michael Jordan are, I mean, the, the, the cliche would be, um, you know, you talk to someone on the street about this, about like the differences between Michael Jordan and another NBA player. And they'd be like, well, obviously that's going to, you know, that's going to go to jeans because all these guys work really hard. Well, but then you look at the life of Michael Jordan and you look at, in fact, read the biography of Michael Jordan as I did by David Halberstam. And you realize, no, this guy actually did work harder than all the guys who were at the elite level. And he did that in high school. He did that in college. He did that. He did that throughout his career. As far as I know, he's still doing that <laughs> because that's the kind of uh, key insight here is that these people never – it becomes a part of their character. They not only never give up, they, it becomes an obsession with constantly identifying the weaknesses in their own uh, ability, whatever it is, you know, whatever kind of arena they're in, and, and turning towards that and trying to overcome that. Uh, weakness. So you've got that you know, amazing story, which everyone knows about how Tiger Woods, even after he became the number one golfer in the world, said, my, I need to improve my swing, man. I need to, you know, I need to, I need to find a whole new swing and, and take it to the next level. That, that's a perfect illustration of what really is, is kind of sets these guys apart from the rest of us. Now, am I saying that you know, we all should do that? Am I saying you should drop all your friendships <laughs> and every other thing you've got in your life and paying attention to your kids and your, you know, whatever career you have and just try to make your swing better and, and spend 25 years, you know, making that happen and never, ever, ever, ever give up. No, I'm not saying that. That's a decision you make, you know, for yourself. But what I am saying is you look at the people who have these amazing achievements and you see that that's what happened. And then you kind of take that as a lesson, I think, into your own life and, and you play it out however way you want to play it. It really does go to show how important of a variable the environment is. And I was listening to your your TED Talk, so please correct me if I get this wrong, but you mentioned Albert Einstein. And if you cloned him 10 times and put him in different environments, you wouldn't get the same Albert Einstein. And I found that kind of incredible. Is that summarizing that's, that's that? That's exactly what I said. And, and I'm very, very confident in that statement. It, it, we have a, we have a, a popular understanding of cloning 
which is um, it's absurd, frankly. It's crazy. It just um, you know we got this idea from uh, it, it just kind of leached out into the popular culture, I guess, kind of when Dolly the sheep was cloned. And for some reason, we all thought, and, and now it's like, you know, you see the attack of the clones and, you know, all that Star Wars stuff. And we, we all just have this very powerful feeling. Well, if you if you had the exact genetic makeup of someone, they're basically going to be the same person. And, you know, what we can say about Einstein is if we had his exact genetic makeup and we cloned him, well, we can say he'd be male for sure, <laughs> uh, something, unless something really goes wrong. Um, we can say for sure he's going to have all sorts of similar you know, physical characteristics, but you could never tell me anything even as elemental as, as what that person's face is going to look like at age 25 or 50. There are just so many things that go into that. Now, is it going to definitely have a resemblance to the original Albert Einstein? No question about that. But the environment that this person grows up in, from again, from the moment that they're first conceived. So first, we're talking about a lot of uh, switches that get turned on and off constantly in in the womb. A lot of this stuff ha happens really early on, um, but also it just kind of keeps going on. And the environment that they're in on every level does determine so much that you really couldn't say anything definitively about what ten different or a hundred different or a thousand different Einstein clones are going to be like. And, and that, I think, is, is, is may, as shocking as it may sound to some people who are used to the kind of opposite thought, it also speaks to kind of a, a new concept of, of human potential and development. I like to assume I represent the common listener uh, to okay. the show. And what I can't help but worry about is people are going to hear this, people like myself, I, I, and, and be like, when I have kids, I'm going to make my wife eat only vegetables, you know, I'm going to put her in a tank with oxygen. So the baby, you know, all this stuff. And then as soon as the baby's born, I'm personally putting a baseball in his hand and he will never put it down. He won't go to school <laughs> and I'll have the next best Bryce Harper, if you will. Yeah. So, um, can you talk about that a little bit? Did your research show anything? I mean, obviously there's some truth to it, but in the same token, your kids might resent you and then do all that stuff. I mean, did, did you touch on that at all? You, you you just brilliantly answered your own question. So we, we you know <laughs> like you're you're so. right you're right in saying that if you if you understand this stuff and you think about it, I think it does become it it does make you uh, potentially a, a a more informed parent and a, and a and a kind of and and a parent with you know some some richer potential. But what are the actual you know when you tease this stuff out a couple of different steps? What are the actual implications of it for parenting? It's a hell of a lot more complicated um, than saying I'm all I need to do is follow this recipe because um, there is no single recipe, and it's just as likely in a lot of cases that the thing you want to do is going to end up backfiring in in some you know very uh, interesting and maybe not so pleasant way. And you actually, Ant, that's exactly where you went to even before you finished the question. Is I'm going to insist you know that that kid's <laughs> never going to have the you know be able to take a baseball bat out of his hand. But how long is it going to take before that kid? looks at you and go, okay, something weird's going on with my dad because he won't <laughs> let me do anything else. And how am I going to respond to that emotionally? And, you know, and then where does that go? Well, I can tell you that in some cases, you know, kids who are really young, who are in that situation go, oh, I, I've got to become a great baseball player to please my daddy. And he won't really love me 
Right. Um, un- unless I prove, I constantly prove myself, and I just and I and I and I put all my energy into that. And frankly, a lot of those kids become really, really, really good at the thing that their parent is impressing upon them. But there's an incredible emotional sacrifice, which is that there's a a really a very uh, toxic. Uh, kind of emotional equation there, and those people end up becoming. We're talking about narcissistic parents, uh, uh, basically, and uh, you know, and those are the people that become Britney Spears. They become great at what they do, but their emotional makeup, because of how it was kind of the, there was this kind of love, you know, love for performance equation built into this. That is really not. I can I can pretty confidently tell you, not a great way to raise your kids. Although you know, frankly, some parents still do it, and it does. You know, it does produce results. No, but I, that's as, as, as you were saying, it's also so. The trick as a parent is, wow, okay, we know that this is more about development than it is about being fated to have certain traits. So you start with that, mm-hmm. and then you apply that to your own life. You apply that to your own values. You apply that to your own resources and and limitations, and you try to. And I'm saying this now as a parent, more as a parent than I am as an author or or you know someone who's read the science. You, you just simply kind of develop your own parental and human reading of, of what to do. And then, of course, three days after your kids are born, you're, you're kind of – you're not in control of it anyway. You realize, okay, so now there's, there's a certain pathway that's going on because my kid already has a certain little personality. I'm responding to that. They've got things that they want to do and they don't want to do. And, and it becomes it – be, there becomes so, – so this is a great illustration of how I, I, I'm absolutely not saying – that a little bit of knowledge about how this is more developmental than it is this kind of static, you know, genetic fait accompli. I'm not saying that that means that you can then control all of these variables just because we understand that it's developmental. In fact, recognizing that it's developmental is a recognition, I think, that it's a hell of a lot more complicated and harder to control than 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 thinking about it in kind of the old-fashioned way. Right. No, and that definitely makes sense. And I'm glad because maybe you just saved me from being the, uh, what do they call them, helicopter parent. Well, look at Tiger Woods. I mean. Yeah, that's true, actually. Um, Well, the Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods is a great example of that. And frankly, if you're a parent or you you know parents, you just kind of look around at the lies they they, they have and and the lives their kids have. You just see that all this stuff very quickly goes way, way out of the specific control of the parent. And the best thing a parent can do is constantly have a lot of humility and um, and a lot of humanity, and never to let the kind of love become a part of the equation of like do this for me and I'll love you. You know, love should always be unconditional and separate from abilities and skills. I think that's um, that's really really important. But having said that, hey, if having high standards is important to you in your life, you should show that to your kid. You should you should model that in your own life. If responding to failure, um, if identifying the own, you know, the failures in your career and in your pursuits is important to you, is something that you want to do, not just for yourself, but something that you want your kids to, to do. Show them that. Show that when something goes wrong and you're in something that you're doing, come home and say, you know, Dad had a really hard day today. I, I I've been working on this project for a really long time, and it didn't go well. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it's not going well and I'm, I'm really struggling, you know, show them those struggles because it's the kids that learn that life is a struggle and that life is overcoming, you know, facing in, facing into these challenges and these failures and having the confidence that over time with us, with a certain amount of tenacity, 
tenacity that you are going to overcome them. Th- those are the lessons that really become the kind of hard-won and, and powerful lessons that will be with these kids throughout their own life. This needs to be in your next book. Yeah, I know. I think I see what's <laughs> well, coming it's, up it's here. actually in, in the first book, too. You'll, you'll <laughs> see if you look. There's, it, I mean, I, liked it. I, think I, I think I do get a little bit of that in there. Obviously, there's, this is a, ultimately a, a huge subject, and you can't sure. cover it all in one book. But yeah, there's – but I think that there's – you know, the, the, I, I, do, I do get into that a little bit. That's great. And David, I really, really appreciate your time. This was awesome. I can't wait to hear you at TEDx, Rock Creek Park. I did want to, you know, we mentioned your books and the genius in all of us is fantastic. The subtitle, Why Everything You've Been Told About Genetics, Talent, and IQ is Wrong is very enticing. So uh, <laughs> It's a little it, provocative, isn't it? It is, but it's, it's great. And uh, it's the kind of stuff we love and I know our listeners love and we'll check it out. I know you have your regular website, davidshank.com. I was wondering if there's anywhere else. Do you have a blog that people can kind of get updates or do you tweet or anything like that? I do all that stuff, but I don't do it with any kind of regularity. So, yeah, if you go to my – I mean you'll, you'll find me on Twitter. At, I think it's dshank, D-S-H-E-N-K, and I – I do have a blog that started to be kind of connected to my genius, uh, my, my recent book, but I frankly don't contribute it to it. I mean, it's, it's, it just became kind of a specialized sure. website for all the stuff that's around my, my book. And, um, so, and, and people can find that through, through the website. So I, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm a, I'm a robust and, you know, constant social networker on, on the web, but I am out there and people can certainly learn more than they ever wanted to know. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you're, you're busy writing books and we'll, we'll let you stick to that. I mean, we appreciate that. Uh, well, thank you. I, I, I so appreciate your interest in all this and, and your great questions. And, um, and even going back to the, uh, we'll have to spend another half hour on, on the Grateful Dead sometime because I still Absolutely. love the Grateful Dead and I, and I, it's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about them. So, well, I'll have to pick that up and then I'll have more questions for you for sure. Sounds good. <laughs> all right, David, thanks again. Thank you. Great talking to you. All righty. Bye-bye. See you. Welcome back, guys. Hope you enjoyed that interview with David Shank. Please remember, head over to iTunes, comment, rate, give us a rating. No, just subscribe. Yeah, and subscribe as well. And don't forget, head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com slash drink. And you can buy me a drink. Jesus, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And also, we do have a little extra, like I mentioned in the intro. Go to smartpeoplepodcast.com. And under David Shank's blog, there's five minutes of extra listening. It's really interesting stuff. Hope you guys enjoy. See us next week. Same time, same place in your ears. Mm-hmm.